You are listening to a message by Refuge Community Church. Refuge exists to glorify God by making disciples that shape their communities with the love of Jesus. Hey, what's up? My name is Sean Siglin. I'm one of the pastors here at Refuge. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Um, Thank you from wherever you're at. Uh, man, we really appreciate it. We're a church plant that hasn't officially launched yet. Uh, we're doing these services uh, online, and we hope this gives you a little taste of, of who we are. Uh, if, you, if you are joining us for your first time, and welcome. Please fill out that connection card and the links in the description, and uh, someone will contact you. We want to we wanna connect with you. We want to thank everybody who's joining us today. Thank you for uh, to all of our our. Uh, our team members who are joining us, man, uh, what what a pleasure it is to be able to serve alongside you guys. It was awesome last week to be able to go on the prayer walk. Man, it's been awesome. So anyway, um, th- as you know, we've started this uh, sermon series called Seize the Moment, Building uh, Healthy Rhythms for Life. And, and we're talking about these these things that, that we can start to work on right now, that are these core things. Uh, and, and last week, Josh talked about marriage and uh, did, an, did an awesome job. And, and this week, we're going to be diving into these, this idea of serving our neighbors. And, and actually, the, the sermon title today is, is Neighboring. Uh, neighboring. Uh, and so, but even though loving our neighbors is, is like the second greatest commandment, uh, you know, Jesus mentions it, it's mentioned multiple times in the New Testament, is the second greatest commandment. And it's always tied. It, it's almost like he can't even say, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. He can't even say that without attaching uh, the second greatest commandment. It's like they are so intimately tied together. And so, even though we have this, this incredible uh, second commandment, um, we, we tend to find ourselves falling short in the area of serving and loving our neighbors and caring for our neighbors. I, I fail on a regular basis. And so, uh, in, but in a time like this, uh, when, when we are in our neighborhoods, most of us are in our neighborhoods more than we ever have been, whether it's because you can't go out and hang out with friends at different restaurants that you want to hang out at, or whether it's because you're working from home. We, we are in our neighborhoods more than any other place. This is one of the greatest opportunities we have to take advantage of the time to serve and love our neighbors than ever before, to begin to cultivate the rhythms of serving and loving our neighbors here and now. We can, we can uh, share the the gospel, serve, make disciples, you know, all those things right here and now with our neighbors. These are things that we can begin to do uh, with them that we may not be able to even start doing with our coworkers at this time. And so like this is essential in this time to be able to take advantage of, of, of the proximity we have to these people around us. But before we dive in, let's just go ahead and, and pray real quick. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that you have have given us uh, oppor- an opportunity. Every moment of our life is an opportunity to build healthy rhythms. Thank you that we're able to take this season, this moment, and, and use it uh, to learn and grow and be shaped, and that we don't have to be afraid uh, of moments like this, that we don't have to be afraid of being uh, uh, stuck in our houses or, or whatever, but we can see this as an opportunity to become creative and share the gospel differently, make disciples differently. Help us to build the rhythms you're you're calling us to build in Jesus' name, Amen. Man, uh, several years back, well, probably about almost 
almost 10 years ago, uh, I was a secret shopper. Uh, if For those of you who don't know what that is, I would actually I would go to houses with a little button cam on, and, and I would go and pretend like I was going to buy houses, you know, go with, along with a realtor, and they would show me around, and, and I'd have to ask all these questions, and I was trained really well about my, about what to do, and I knew all the right things to do, and I had a special, like my own special secret identity, like, like I, had, I had a backstory for everything, like I had to know where I was going to be, where I worked, and, and what I did, and who, how many kids I had, who my wife was, and I needed, I had like all this information, this actual, this, this new identity I was taking on, uh, and, I, and it actually came with a whole new name, and email, and phone number, and everything, and, and I remember training over and over, and thinking, okay, here's what I would say when I talked to this person, and you had to change the story every time you, you went to a new, a new location. And I remember I would go into a location the very first time I went in, and, and instead of saying, hi, my name is Brad, you know, like I came in and said, hi, my name is Sean. And immediately in my head, I was like, dang it, I messed up again. You know, I messed up. I, I like, and it was, it, was, it was a struggle for me. And in fact, this happened every time I went somewhere. I was able to, I had time to shift my last name, but I would always mess up with my first name. For whatever reason, I just like couldn't introduce myself as the new person that I was told to ident- you know, identify as. This new identity hadn't taken hold or taken root of me, and it didn't matter how much I had studied, how much I had prepared, how much I understood. I knew what I was supposed to do, and I continued to, to fall short in it. I continued to mess up, mess up, and at first I had justifications. Like I would be like, "Well, you know, it's hard for me because I don't like telling lies, <laughs> like ridiculous things like that." Because I had to talk to my boss about it. I'd be like, "Man, it's just not. I'm just not used to it." But the reality was, I just hadn't taken hold of the new identity I was supposed to take on. But see, the gospel it, it should transform us. It should absolutely give us this new identity that that uh, that that completely helps us to move forward. And sometimes, no matter how much you've studied, no matter how much you've learned, you haven't truly taken on the new identity that the gospel gives you. And sometimes we don't walk in what we're supposed to walk in. And and, uh, today in our text, we look at a man who knows all the right things to do, but just really hasn't been transformed. He makes a lot of justifications but, but he hasn't truly been transformed. He knows all the right things to do, but he hasn't been transformed. I'd like to talk about uh, three things that we can learn to do from this passage. First of all, stop justifying. Second of all, be transformed. And third of all, do something. That's actually my three points today. Uh, stop justifying, be transformed, and do something. Very, very simple. And yet, I, I think all of us can, can struggle with this at times. I'm going to start off uh, with my first point, stop justifying. So we're going to dive in to Luke uh, chapter 10, verses 25 through 29. 25 says this, Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he asked. He asked him, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This expert in the law comes to test Jesus. 
He comes to say, oh, let, let's see how much he really knows. When in reality, the expert in the law knows all the answer to his own question. Jesus recognizes this and flips it on its head. The expert comes and says, well, well what do I need to do to get into heaven? You know, what do I need to do to enter eternal life? And, and, and Jesus says, uh, well, what does the law say? You tell me. And, and he's able to answer the question, and immediately Jesus is like, well, then do that. And, and the, the, the funny thing about this is you can imagine the embarrassment this man feels. He's like, yeah, I, I basically just got called out. Like, I knew what to do, and, and now he's just telling me, well, then just do it. He's called out because the reality is Jesus knew he was coming to test him, to, to, to see what was happening. But what he, he's also realizing is he's got to ask this question of, well, like, what does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? And now he's trying to, he's trying to go, well, let's dig a little deeper, Jesus. Let's see if you can answer this question, who's my neighbor? And in fact, he's trying to go, go further because I think the reality of it saying that he wanted to justify himself is telling us, man, this guy probably did a good job at loving those that were like him, that were maybe around him, but he, he may not have done as, as good of a job at loving all people. And so he's trying to make sure, he's, he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to see like, hey, do, do I do what, this, what is really truly required of this love of the Lord your God with all your heart, with soul, mind, strength, and my neighbor as myself? He's, do I have that part down? And so he's trying to like kind of backpedal a little bit. And, and this, this, this idea of the justifying himself, man, how many times have we done this? I mean, Actually, I remember at the beginning of quarantine, like when this whole thing started, I remember thinking, actually moving into my house even, starting off with this idea of like, how can I love and serve my neighbors? I wanted to know every single neighbor's name. I was trying to create a list, like actually, like I wanted to like draw out, here's all the houses, here's this person's name, this person's name, be able to pray for them. Like I had a lot of good intentions when I moved in. We, we actually started out decently strong, like made, made some, uh, you know, some food for people, some brownies and took them to people, cookies and, and different things. And we started building a little bit of a relationship, but it, it, it slowly died out as life got busy, as things got difficult. And then when COVID hit and, and social distancing restrictions happened, there was this like, uh, there was this like, re, like rekindling of like, oh, I can, I can go and talk to my neighbors uh, from a distance, right? I, maybe I could leave some notes. And I started getting creative again, like, what could I do? And so we wrote down like, hey, I know this is a difficult time. Uh, we're your neighbor at this address. And if you need anything, you can text us or reach out to us. We, we, we're here for you. We want to pray for you if there's anything you need. And we put these out on, on the doors around us and, uh, and actually got back quite a few texts and, and neighbors who reached out to us. And it was actually really good. But the reality is that, that I, I, after that was said and done and I had responded to them, there hasn't been as much interaction as I had hoped. I haven't been as good at, at going and, and continuing you know, the, the interactions. It, it, I get it. It's been hard. Like, what do I do? How do I know if my neighbor's comfortable with this? How do I know if it's okay for me to go and do this? Do, do, do I knock on their door and wait for them to answer? Do I stand away from the door and try to talk to them? Is it, how awkward is that going to be? The reality is a lot of times these things are just justifications in my own brain and they just stop me from actually moving forward and doing something. 
and, and whether it's the, these justifications of like, man, well, what about social distancing restrictions and how far, you know, how close can I get and should I knock and should I not knock and are they going to think I'm off? Instead of all these, just, all these justifications I have inside of me, I've got, I've got to begin to ask the question, did Christ call me to love my neighbor as myself or not? And how do I begin to do that when these are the people that are immediately around me at all times? How do I do what Jesus is calling me to do? How do I stop doing what this expert in the law is doing where he's justifying himself? In fact, I mean, like how many of us, I know that I've done this before, even as we've studied this, and I've studied this passage before and or had a pastor preach on this and say, like, guys, go serve your neighbors around you. And my immediate question was like, well, are those really who it's talking about, the people next door to me? Because technically, neighbor, if you know the whole story, neighbor is anyone you can come in contact with. Like, I've had those justifications in my mind that cause me to not actually go and serve my neighbors, which makes me a lot more like the expert in the law than anything else. The reality is that the people around you are your neighbors, your literal neighbors, and they are the people closest to you, the people you can actually reach out to, care for, love, serve in some way right now. You may not be in contact with a whole lot of other people right now. And so instead of coming up with, well, technically it's talking about the, you know, this is not technically talking about that literal neighbors, it's talking about anybody. Or instead of worrying about like, man, uh, what if they think this is awkward or weird or whatever? We find ways to get creative and show them that we care for them and love them, even if it has to be from a distance, even if it has to be a little note, even if it has to be a little, uh, you know, a package of cookies or, or a meal or whatever. And as you as you begin to extend your grace and your love, you're able to actually then uh, get to know them well enough to figure out, like, hey. Is this a person that we could even uh, find ourselves, you know, like inviting over for dinner if we're comfortable with it or hanging out in the front yard at a distance or whatever that might be? We can do that if we stop justifying and, and, and move on, actually do something about it, which we will get into in, in the last point. We can all justify ourselves, um, but God is calling us to start loving our neighbors. He's calling us to start loving our loving our neighbors and, and we have to begin to build this rhythm like if you haven't started it before covid this is your chance do it now so we need to stop justifying ourselves but we also need to be transformed be transformed verse 30 jesus took up the question and said a man was going down from jerusalem to jericho and fell into the hands of robbers remember he's answering the question of who is my neighbor they stripped him beat him, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, the, a Levite, when he arrived at the, at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal." brought him to an inn and took care of him. Then uh, the next day he took out uh, two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. What is it that separates the Samaritan man from these other two individuals, from the priest and from the Levite? What is it that separates them? There is a difference in their hearts. 
There's something that's different about their hearts. Yes, the, the Samaritan does a whole bunch of other things, but the thing that spurs it all on is compassion. He sees the man and he has compassion. The other two see the man and, and don't, don't have that within them. There's something different about this Samaritan man's heart. Man, this idea uh, of compassion, this word, actually this Greek word for compassion is the same word that Luke also uses when he talks about uh, the prodigal son returning. And when the prodigal son returns, the father sees the son from a distance and he has this compassion. And it's this compassion that causes him to run towards his son. This compassion is a kind of like gut-wrenching, deep-moving compassion. It's something from the inside that causes outward action. Compassion. I, actually, this last, last week, uh, the Bible Project came out with a, a video on compassion. It was awesome. Go watch that video. Uh, it's teaching about God's characteristics. One of God's main characteristics is that he's, he's compassionate. And, and with that word, it's like this inward, this womb-likeness that God has, that he's caring in, the way, in, in a kind of like womb-like motherly way almost. And, and we see that kind of like inward movement of, of, of God in the same way we're called to do that in the New Testament, to have that also, to be transformed inward, to be, to be more and more like him compassion moves the Samaritan to do all of these things, to, to help him, to, to check on him, to lift him up onto his animal, to give him uh, some medication and to take him to, to a place to stay, to pay for everything. Compassion is what moves him. There's this inward difference between him and the other two. The other two had their reasons, I'm sure, why they moved along. I mean, you have a priest and a Levite coming uh, from, from Jerusalem to Jericho, probably guys that were serving in the temple and on their way home, probably ready to be home with their family, probably like, done, you know, like, okay, I'm ready to get home, see my wife, see my, see my kids. And, and knowing that this man is, not knowing if this man is dead or half dead, they see him and they go, they're, more th they're thinking more about, man, am I gonna not be able to go straight home? Am I gonna have to go back and, and experience, like ritually clean myself again, go back to the temple? They, they don't wanna have to deal with that kind of stuff. They don't wanna have, to, they, they, they're not sure if this man is dead or half dead or, or, or sick or what, whatever's wrong with him, they don't know. And so instead of dealing with it, instead of allowing his brokenness to break them inwardly, they, they see they are only focused on themselves. It's their own selfishness, their own lack of, of otherness that, that has, has caused them to, to not see the pain and the need that instead of focusing on that person that's, that's on the side of the road dying, they're focused on how do I get home? There's this, this, this sad reality that, Many of us can also be this way. I mean, and in a much smaller way. I mean, how many of us, have, you know, on our way to, to church have passed by the person whose car is broke down on the side of the road? You know, how many of us ha have, have seen these things around us and, and gone, you know, I just, I don't want to deal with that right now. I don't have time for that. It's one thing when you're like, you have your responsibilities to take care of. Uh, it's, it's another thing when you're like, man, I, I just don't want to deal with that right now. But especially if you saw someone on the side of the road dying, how do you, how do you tend to that? Like that person's needs are, are lifted up above any other things going on. Compassion, the inward transformation should take place in us. And this is what we need for us to love our neighbors well. 
We need compassion to move us. I mean, there's a reality that during this, during this season, and, and people are, have been trapped with, <laughs> with their family members. I say trapped. I know uh, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to be with your family, but it can start to feel like you're, you're closed in. You can start to feel, and, and for those in your neighborhood, who may be experiencing abuse or who may have a marriage on the rocks, who may be struggling uh, with, with feeling lonely and unloved, for those people out there who have these problems going on, uh, th- these problems have only heightened, have only gotten worse. And the question is, uh, is there compassion in your heart? Have you been transformed inwardly by the gospel enough to go, how, how, what is out there that, that, that God wants me to be interacting with? How can I love my neighbor the way I'm called to love my neighbor? I mean, there's so much brokenness. I mean, like one, I was looking at these statistics that one in seven children have experienced abuse or neglect in the past year. Like, that's someone on your street. That's someone in your neighborhood. How do we get involved in people's lives and be a part of loving them well? How do we, how do, man, compassion should drive us to know and love our neighbors. I mean, not just looking at the brokenness, not just looking at the possible abuse or, or whatever, but e- or even loneliness, but just saying, man, God has called us to love our neighbors deeply. To see that person who may come out and mow their lawn and go back in and, and just feel nothing for them. Man, I pray that God would transform your heart. That God would transform my heart. That, that when you truly trust in Jesus, when you, when you say yes to him, that his heart, uh, his spirit fills you and gives you a new heart. A heart that desires to love and care for that person who came out to mow their lawn. That person who, who got in their car and left. That person who you only got to see in passing. That your heart would be so moved for that person that you would actually do something. That you would actually go and knock on their door and just let them know you're praying for them. Leave them a note. That that you would that you would make them some some you know snacks that you would just begin to engage them man pray for that transformation i, I you know we, we we're moving beyond those justifications stop justifying right but this idea of of being transformed inwardly that we would be more like the Samaritan than the other two, that we would care more for others than we do about our daily routines and rhythms and what we got to get done this is what God's calling us to. Man, God is on the throne. He's actively at work in your neighborhood. Shouldn't we be at work with him? He's calling you to them. Like, this is our opportunity. This is our, our chance to care for our neighbors, to love them. And it's only going to happen if we are transformed inwardly. Man, tr- if you don't feel compassion and love for your neighbors, pray for it pray for it. And in fact, I would encourage you, set an alarm for to pray for your neighbors on a daily basis. I have mine set uh, for 1231. To, uh, it's Mark 1231 uh, that just says, love your neighbors as yourself. It's the same, same verse here, similar to the verse here. And, and the idea is, is that I would be reminded, pray for my neighbor at 1231 every day. I, and every day I pray for my neighbor. And so I would encourage you do the same thing, man. Set your alarm. It doesn't have to be for 1231, but set your alarm every day to pray for your neighbor. Think about your neighbors because as you pray for them, it will build that transformation within you. It will make you begin to care about them and at, start asking the question, how can I get be a part of that person's life? How can I love them the way God's calling me to love them? 
Man, this whole sermon series is about, uh, you know, the gospel transforming our lives so much uh, that we are focused on, on actually doing something. It's about applying the gospel to our whole journey and not just to the, the final destination one day. These, these building these rhythms. So, so let's do that. Let's stop justifying. Let's be transformed. But let's finally, let's let that transformation drive us to actually do something. And that's my last point. Do something. Do something. Verse 36 Jesus says this, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, go and do the same. That phrase, proved to be, is from one Greek word. It just means to become or or to come to be, something like that. The idea of came to be. The reality is that this man was asking, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is answering, who became a neighbor? Who proved to be a neighbor? Who, who came to be a neighbor? The, that's the question that we should be asking. How do we become the neighbor to our literal neighbors? How do we become this kind of compassionate, loving neighbor to our literal neighbors? And it's about doing something. In fact, this whole, uh, this whole, sir, this whole uh, passage the, the, the driving force is on the word do. It's on the word uh, do. It's interesting because he comes, he comes in and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, do this and you'll be, do this and you'll be saved. And then he says, um, he says which, one, uh, you know, ha- which one was a neighbor, which one proved to be a neighbor. And he says, the one who showed mercy, that showed mercy is actually the same word for did. The, he, the one who did mercy. So it's all about doing. And then Jesus says, go and do likewise. It's, this, it's wrapped up in what he's doing, but ultimately that, that central point of that transformation, that inward transformation should prove, should move outward and actually lead to action. It's about faith with works working together. It's about that faith moving a person to actually do something. Man, I know like, Getting to heaven isn't about doing good works. Being saved isn't about doing good works. But as we are transformed by, by Jesus' death and resurrection, by his spirit entering us, man, it should transform us inwardly and move us to actually do something. So Jesus isn't saying do this to be saved or to, to inherit eternal life or something like that. Jesus is saying it's time to start being tra- it's time you need he's telling this man you need actual transformation so that you will actually do these things and man like how much of us need that that transformation that daily transformation for those of us man we may love our we may have loved our neighbors well uh maybe we've loved those our coworkers well but we haven't cared for our neighbors directly around us or maybe we've cared for our neighbors well maybe you're doing awesome at this maybe you're reaching out to your neighbors doing like i've heard of some of some of you guys are doing bible studies all kinds of stuff and so man maybe you're doing awesome at this uh but maybe you need to start loving others well maybe there's uh, others that you need to start reaching out to the reality is like we want to continue to start, we, or we want to start this, this process of building these healthy rhythms. Um, and, and so 
we need to be transformed by the gospel. We need to have this like uh, this Jeremiah 31 moment where, where he's, he's told that the new covenant will transform their hearts. This inward transformation will absolutely move us into action where we will, well, we will not, need to, where we will not uh, need to be taught what to do, but we will just do it. Our hearts will be so transformed, and this is what the gospel does. This is what happens when we are transformed. Thankfully, the gospel also teaches us that when we fall short, when we fail at loving our neighbors as ourselves, Christ's work is sufficient for us. And so for some of you, man, you, you may not have been thinking about your neighbors at all, and this is, this is good news for you. This is good news for me, that, that even though I haven't had that, that driving compassion to reach out to every one of my neighbors for the past few weeks, and I've fallen short in that. There is, there is forgiveness, there is grace, and that God isn't looking at all my failures, but he's looking at Jesus's success. He's looking at Jesus's victory, and he's just calling me and encouraging me to follow in Jesus's footsteps. Now that I see it, I can move forward and do something different. As I was working on the sermon, again, being over and over and over convicted of my own uh, failure, and then reminded of God's grace that he's continuing to move me into to, uh, to loving my neighbors more and more. And we know what we're called to do, uh, but the question is, what stopped us during COVID? Is it justifications? Is it, is it lack of compassion or, or inward transformation? Or, or is it some, is something else calling, uh, 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 causing us uh, to, to j not, just not do it? Like, what is, what is, what is the, the problem that causes us to not move forward in this? Whatever's happening, it's time to recognize your calling to love your neighbor. Today, uh, uh, this week, I wanna encourage you to start thinking about these new rhythms that we want to start creating, these healthy rhythms uh, of loving our neighbors well. In, in The Weight of Glory, uh, it was a sermon preached by C.S. Lewis. It was added to uh, a, a book. There's a few different things he's preached on and taught on. Um, but in The Weight of Glory, Lewis says this, Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. I love this, this quote. The point uh, of saying this is similar to, the, the idea is that, that the, the sacrament or communion, the bread and the wine, and the way that Christ says, this is my body, this is my blood, he promises his presence there with us in, in communion. And the way that he promises that, he also says, and as much as you've done for the least of these, you've done unto me. There's this sense in the way that we interact with communion, it reminds us of the way we should interact with his presence in those around us who are hurting and, and vulnerable and oppressed and poor and struggling, and that we should find ourselves in those situations, seek those opportunities to love those people as well because Christ is present in that place as well. And I, and I love that he's like next to the, the blessed sacrament, next to communion, uh, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. Christ is present there with your neighbor. I believe at work in your neighbor's lives, the spirit is at work in their hearts. Man, Let's partner with Christ in that work of caring for and loving our neighbors. Let's stop justifying ourselves, pray for uh, heart transformation, be transformed, and actually do something. Don't forget who you are. Don't be the, the bad like secret shopper like I was. 
In fact, we're not talking about some kind of fake identity that you have to pretend. We're talking about the true identity that you have in Christ through the gospel, through the transformation that's taking place in your life. You are, a, a, you are now the hands and feet of Jesus. You are a compassionate one called to that. Let God transform that part of your heart where you fall short. Ask him to forgive you and move forward in grace. Man, it's okay if you've messed up. Recognize that maybe that's an area of your heart that you have not allowed God to fully take hold of, to say, yes, be Lord of this part of my heart. Be Lord of my whole life and move forward. I have just a a couple of practical applications before I close out. First of all, start praying for your neighbors daily. Like I mentioned, man, set an alarm. Set an alarm to pray for your neighbors daily. This is an easy way to start one rhythm one rhythm that can continue for the rest of your life. Start praying for your, your literal neighbors around you daily. And the second one is engage a neighbor. Engage a neighbor. And this may be making cookies, writing a little note, uh, mowing someone's lawn, um, whatever it, it, it might be. Do something uh, to care for and love your neighbor engage your neighbor. It may, I understand like we have social distancing restrictions. We want to be careful. We want to uh, wear face masks and we want to keep a six feet distance and all of these things. I want us to do these things, yes, but with whatever you are uh, like feel safe to do, I would encourage you get creative and do something and be thoughtful and creative about caring for your neighbors. Find a way to love them. Engage your neighbor this week. I'm going to go ahead and close out with a word of prayer, and then we're going to come back for the benediction. God, thank you so much that you have given us a transformed heart, transformed life, so that we might have the compassion to go and care for our neighbors. God, help us to, to take this, this, uh, this second greatest commandment, which is so intimately tied to the first, of loving you. God, I pray that we would, that we would follow, uh, follow your command to love others. Lord, the whole law, all things are wrapped up in loving our neighbor and loving you. God, if we could do those two things, if we could do those two things well, God, man, how, how pleased will you be with, the, with our lives? God, I pray that our lives would be a pleasing sacrifice to you. Help us to honor you and love you. We praise you, God. Help us to be transformed this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. We hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith.